Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. A man comes home from a sermon one day and he picks up and he carries his wife. He picks her up and he proceeds to carry her around the house and the wife asks, did they say something at church about being romantic. And the husband replied, no, no, they said that we must carry our sorrows and our burdens. That has nothing to do with my message, but it's funny. All right? Last one, I promise. Little boy asked, he says, Mom, are bugs good to eat? She said, let's not talk about such things at the dinner table, son. And after dinner, the, the mom remembered that her son was asking something. She says, now, baby, what was it that you wanted to ask me? He says, oh, nothing, the boy said. He goes, there was a bug in your soup, but now it's gone. <laughs> Amen. That's the word of the Lord today. Amen? I'm just kidding. This morning, I've entitled uh, the message uh, that I want to speak to you about. I've entitled it The Table, and the Lord had given me just kind of this vision, uh, this picture of a table. You know, we have tables, and they are... Uh, artifacts uh, in our homes nowadays. It's probably one of the places that we do not use anymore uh, as its original purpose, as its by its original design, because uh, most of the time people uh, eat in their bedroom, or maybe they eat with a with a TV table in front of the TV in the living room. I see people all the time in, in restaurants when I get to go to a restaurant with my family, and, and oftentimes you see people gathered around a table, but they're not looking at one another. How many of you know what I'm talking about? They have their phone in their face, and the kids are playing games, and, and there's not really conversation happening, and there's just kind of this disconnect from what the table was actually meant for. What was once a place of great fellowship has turned into a place of desolation. In the Bible, the, the table is a symbolic place that represents a place of fellowship, a place of nourishment, and most of all, a place where we are invited to gather with Jesus. Amen? How many of you want to gather with Jesus today? Amen? How many of you are here because of Jesus? Amen? And so scripture is, is, is so powerful because if you've ever done kind of like a word study on, on a table or you've just kind of remembered and pinpointed all the verses in the Bible that mention a table. It's mentioned for so many different things. And many times in Scripture we see a table mentioned, and one example is this, as we see a table mentioned in the, in the Gospels, in, in, in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus, the, the Bible says that he, he found a table in the temple and he chose to overturn the table out of disgust. Because what the, temple was being, uh, what the table was being used for in the temple had nothing to do with the purpose of the temple. Jesus walks into this, into this church, into this temple, and he sees money changers, and he sees greed. And so Matthew 21, if you have your Bible, you can open it there. Matthew 21 and verse 12, it says, Jesus entered the temple courts, and he drove out all those who were buying and selling there. And he overturned the table of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves. Verse 13, it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. He said, but you are making it a den of robbers. How many of you know that this house is a house of prayer? Amen. How many of you know, church, that when you pray, you have the attention of the Almighty God? 
When you bow your knee in prayer, when you call upon the name of the Lord, you have the attention of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You have the attention of the Creator God. And Jesus here is, is, is making a strong point. He's, he's showing them, he said, hold on a second. The table that was established for a place of communion and fellowship with me is being used for the wrong purpose. How many of you know sometimes the Lord has to wake us up, amen? He's got to shake us a little bit. He's got to remind us and get us back to our roots. He has to get us back in that place in him where we understand what it is that we are here for, amen? You're here because of Jesus, amen? I said you're here because of Jesus. Isaiah 56 and verse 7. He said, these I will bring to my holy mountain and I will give them joy in my house of prayer. I pray that every time you walk inside this church, you leave full of joy, amen? You leave full of the power and the love and the grace of the Holy Spirit. Because when you come face to face with this one who is God, when you come face to face and you have an encounter with Jesus, you cannot help but be changed into his likeness, amen? He goes on to say in that verse, he says, their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. He says, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Matthew 21 and 14, I love what happens right after Jesus overturned the tables in the temple. You want to know that anytime the Lord corrects something in your life, it gives you access to something else. I said, any time that we allow the Lord to work on our heart and we allow the Lord to, to transform something in our life that doesn't belong or that's out of place, all of a sudden we see the freedom of the Lord move in. Verse 14 says, the blind and the lame, they came to him at the temple and he healed them. Any time that we reestablish the kingdom as it was meant to be established on earth as it is in heaven, we see the Lord's spirit and power move. We see the Lord begin to do the things that we all long for, amen? How many of you desire that one day if you need healing that you will be healed, amen? How many of you desire that one day if your children are lost and they are without salvation in God, you desire to see them saved, amen? amen. This is what happens when the Spirit of the Lord is free to move in the environment. But if the people of the temple, if those who were in charge of, 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 the, of the temple and everything that, it, that existed inside of it, if they had gotten it wrong, the Spirit of the Lord wasn't there. If you and your relationship with Christ have, have somehow made it out to be something that it was never established to be, if he is just a God to you that you come to with requests, that you just come to him like your own personal genie, but you do not have daily fellowship with him, you're not going to see his power. You're not going to see the movement. You're not going to see the Lord move in your life. And so could it be, church, that God is sending us a message this morning to remind us that this place is like a, it's like a large table. It's a place of invitation, not just for the elect, but it's a place where the hurting, the sick, the lost, and the desperate could gather around to give their full attention to the one who has eternal life to give our full attention right now to the one who wants your attention. Amen. We see other moments in scripture that happened at a table setting and where Christ himself, he would choose to sit at a table with sinners. And there was a particular people, they were called the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders of the day. They were the ones that, that longed to have control because when Jesus came, he would say things like, all authority has been given to me. 
And they would question that. They said, no, 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 you know, who are you to say that you have all authority? We're the ones in charge of the temple. And Jesus is like, hey, listen, I'm, my spirit doesn't live in a temple built by human hands. My spirit comes from my Father in heaven. And so Jesus, on occasion, he would sit down with sinners. He would sit down with tax collectors. He would sit down with people of that day. And so these table meetings, the Pharisees, they would question the authority of Christ. They would become angry and unsettled when Jesus would sit with these people. You know, nowadays you can't sit with a, a person that's a sinner without being judged by somebody inside of the church. Nowadays, it's hard to actually rub shoulders with somebody that is a non-believer or is a person that has not yet made the decision to follow Jesus because there are some people inside of the church that actually look at that as all of a sudden, you're going to get their sin on you. And listen, I have to remind the church this morning that you are commissioned by the Lord to sit down with sinners and preach the gospel. That has not changed. And so in Matthew 9 and 10, the Bible says, verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, they came and they ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He says, go and learn what this means, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners. In Hosea 6 and 6, the scripture echoes what Jesus said. He says, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice. It goes on to say, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. You see, the whole purpose of Jesus sitting at that table is that they would acknowledge him. It wasn't about so much who he was sitting with. It wasn't about, you know, what the status of the people were in their midst. It wasn't about uh, where they had come from, their backgrounds. It didn't matter if they were a tax collector, if they were a city official. None of those things were of concern to Jesus. Jesus' main concern is that they would acknowledge him as Lord. Every time that we have the opportunity to bow our knee in prayer, every time that we have the opportunity to come to church like this, he has made the invitation that you would sit at that table to acknowledge him as Lord. John 17 and 3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you. That they know you. Dare I say that people walk into a church like ours or churches all across America and they talk about a God, they hear the name of this God mentioned, they hear the word of God preached, but yet somehow they fail to acknowledge him. Somehow they have failed to acknowledge and place him as Lord of their life. There's a big difference between Jesus, following Jesus and Jesus being Lord. Following Jesus would be like watching him go somewhere and you follow him. But being when he is your Lord, the difference is this. When he is your Lord, whatever he says you do. Wherever he goes, you go. You wait for his instruction to tell you what's next. 
We don't wait like that sheep that goes and jumps off a cliff and gets into the, into the mud and into the mire and gets themselves in trouble and then we say, Jesus, come rescue me. But we wait for him as Lord and we allow him to lead us as a shepherd. You see, the Lord in his word wasn't saying, I want you to do things for me. This wasn't the primary reason. This is something that he wasn't interested in. He said, I'm not solely interested in your sacrifice, but I want you to acknowledge me. The table was set so that you could come face to face with the one who has the authority of heaven. The table was set as an invitation from Jesus himself. The purpose wasn't to clean his seat at the table or spend time preparing the food. Don't let the distractions cause you to miss Christ. He said, this is eternal life that they know you. The one and only true God that they truly know you. You see, knowing who Christ is requires your full attention. I'll say that one more time. Knowing who Jesus is, it requires your full attention. Nowadays, how many of you have ever sent a text message in your life? I, I hope you're not texting right now. If you are, bump your neighbor and say, hey, man, knock it off. How many of you have ever sent a text message? Raise your hand. How many of you can actually carry a conversation with somebody and, and send a text message at the same time? Yeah, exactly. I see some of you, uh, no, you don't. And actually, you can't. Because the person that's conversing with you is speaking to a person that has not given them their attention because this is what you're doing. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. And your wife's like, yeah, you know, uh, I want $5,000 to go to the mall. And you're like, mm, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> and then you, you, you get out of your phone and say, what'd she say to you? You're like, well, you just gave me $5,000 to go to the mall. And she's rejoicing, but what happened? You weren't paying attention. You weren't locked in, you weren't focused. Most people cannot do this because there is a divided attention. And those who would choose to call Christ as their Lord and Savior, we owe him all of our attention and all of our affection, church. Right now, maybe some of you are tuning me out. That's okay. I'm not the reason you came. Jesus is the reason that you came. But guess what? Jesus used vessels that are surrendered to him too. I saw a picture that had this incredible truth uh, uh, the other day on the internet, and it said this. Ready for this one? Everyone say, I'm ready. Church should be your reason for missing everything else. I'll tell this side. Church should be your reason for missing everything else. I'll tell this side, church should be your reason for missing everything else. Let me take it up a notch. Christ should be your reason for missing everything else. You know, I joke about this all the time. You know, when, when the rapture happens and the Lord's going to take us up to be with him, how many of you are slow getting ready? It's okay. You can admit it. I saw y'all walk in at 11. <laughs> I saw you get here at 11.05. You know, they still got a couple more minutes left in the last song. <laughs> you know, when the trumpet sounds and the eastern sky splits, he waits for no one. The alarm is set. No snooze button. 
No time to say, oh, hold on, I was getting ready. No time to say, oh, man, Lord, you know, sorry, I was, I was changing, I was combing my hair, I was, no, 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 no. If he is Lord, you're prepared. If he is your full attention, you're already locked in. You haven't lost sight of him. So it actually won't come to you as a surprise because you have already been living for him. You're laboring for him. You're serving him. You're acknowledging him. You're in love with him. You're madly in love with this king that gave his life for you. Huh. Christ should be our reason for missing everything else, church. I guarantee that you're missing absolutely nothing this world has to offer if you're sitting at the feet of Jesus. I said you're missing absolutely nothing. I don't care what time the game starts. You're missing nothing. I don't care where they invited you to go. You're missing nothing in comparison to sitting at the feet of Jesus. There's this old song that says, and I'm not going to try to sing it because I sound like an old accordion or whatever when I sing. But there's this old song that says this, and some of you may remember this, but it says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land, and I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands. It says, then to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. He says, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. He goes on to say, I'd rather have Jesus than worldly applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. Yes, I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. He says, I'd rather have Jesus than anything that this world affords today. The invitation to sit with Christ, church, is the highest honor that you could ever have. Christ in, a, in the Gospels was invited to the home of Mary and Martha, and I can imagine that if, that if you knew that Jesus was coming to your house right now, you know, after church for lunch, some of you wouldn't be here right now. You'd be at home right now, you know, sweeping the dirt under the rug and shoving stuff in the closet and wiping off the counters and making sure the food's ready. Amen? At least I would. I don't know about you, but, but man, if Jesus is showing up to my house, it better be clean. It better be ready. You'd be doing the dishes, spending time preparing the meal because the king of kings was entering your home. And, and so Christ, the Bible says, uh, he enters into the home of these two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Martha begins by welcoming Jesus. And then she proceeds to head back to the kitchen to get everything ready. But her sister Mary, the Bible says that she sits down at his feet listening to what he has to say. You could find this in Luke 10 and 40. Now, I know what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking right now, you're thinking, like, what is Mary's deal? Jesus is walking into her home. What is her problem? Now, now, how many of you are like Martha that you'd be getting the house ready? Raise your hand. Nobody. Okay, please raise your hand. You better get your house clean for Jesus. 
Man, this message is going to turn into a whole different thing if you're not ready to get your house clean for Jesus. I think that's what he wants to do this morning is clean somebody's heart in, in, in their house. Amen? You'd be getting this thing ready for Jesus because you're about to host the Savior, the Messiah. And you see your sister over there, and she's just chilling. She's like, oh, I'm going to go sit at the feet of Jesus. And you're like, the table's not set yet. The, the silverware's not ready. You know, the house still smells like the dog or whatever. And you're, get, you're getting the thing prepared. And she looks. Now, how many of you know somebody that likes to avoid work? Don't look at them, don't look at them, don't look at them. <laughs> Y'all know that one guy, right? When the church is, church is over and you're going to pick up the tables and the chairs and he's that guy that just kind of like moonwalks to the background. Pastor Duke's over there, you know, sweating and dragging tables back and forth and that one guy just kind of moonwalks out of the room. You're probably thinking that Mary's pretty lazy and if, you, if that was me, I'd probably be furious too because I'm the kind of person that loves to serve and get things ready. Luke 10 and 40, it says this. It says, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. I think there was some legitimacy to her distraction. She knew that this was Jesus. She knew that she wanted to get things ready and right for him. And so she came to him and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Please tell her to help me. It says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. He said, you're worried and upset about many things. He said, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. She had chosen what was better, which was to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen. To join him at the table with your full attention, church, is always what's better. It's always what's better. I'm a person that serves and loves to serve and do many things for the Lord. And no matter how much I do and no matter how many people I serve, none will be more impacted than by my time spent in prayer and in communion with the Lord. If I haven't spent time with Jesus, these are just my words. Yesterday I told you I was in, 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 in prayer for, for many hours and I had gotten to a point in my prayer time with the Lord that the Lord just, I don't know how to describe, but when you feel just the Lord in the room and you feel the weight of his presence, of his glory over your heart and over your life, it's such a powerful, powerful thing. And that's available for you today. That's available for us now. It's not just something that you receive when you show up to church on a Sunday or you come to church on a Wednesday or you join the prayer team on Tuesdays. It's not just something that you receive at those moments alone, but it's something that's accessible for every believer every single day. You can have fellowship with Jesus. Our ministries will fail unless we've first been ministered to by the Lord. Our marriages will fail unless first given the attention to the lover of our soul. Your business will fail unless you first consulted the God of all wisdom. Your body will fail unless you first asked the Lord to clothe you in his power and in his strength. You cannot replace time spent with fellowship in Jesus. 
You cannot replace it. Because it's a God-ordained place where the presence and the words of Jesus will change you forever. I said, it is the God-ordained place where the presence and the words of Jesus will change you forever. How many of you know what that place is like? How many of you spent time in that place? How many of you have spent time in that, at that table of fellowship with Jesus? And you know that outside of that table, you know that outside of that, that place, it's not the same, amen? It's not the same, but when you actually sit down, you pull up the chair, and you sit down to look at this Lord and Savior face to face, and you allow him to speak into the innermost places of your heart, you are forever changed. You are forever changed. Jesus invites the outcast, the poor, the lame, the misunderstood, the weak, the lost. Every single person that has been created, he invites us all to this table. He invites the defeated. He invites his enemies. He invites all who would come to the place of reckoning and reconciliation to find forgiveness of sin and cleansing for their souls at this table. I'm reminded of the Israelites. You know, they were a people of covenant with the Lord. They were a people of great promises. How many of you have had the Lord just fulfill a promise in your life? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. The Lord just did something for you, right? And, and I mean, you'll never forget that moment. Amen. Yes, praise him, praise him, praise him. And these people, these people were God's people. They were given great promises and they saw God's great deliverance. They literally saw a sea in front of them that was impassable. That is, they were not going to be able to get to the other side, and they had their enemy bearing down upon them, about to take them and destroy them. And God, by his mighty hand, church, parted the sea. He literally parted an entire body of water, an entire ocean. You cannot part a bowl of cereal. I know you saw it in that one movie. I think it was Bruce Almighty, you know. You know, he's there parting his soup or whatever it was. You cannot part water. And yet this God, because he loves his children, he saw that they were about to be destroyed. He parted an entire ocean for them. But they complained. And they grumbled. And they said, God, you're taking us out of, out of this place of, of, of where we had three square meals a day, God, and we had everything because we were in captivity. We had all these things, Lord. At least we had warmth. And God says, you're cold? I'll give you a pillar of fire by night so that you can travel. In fact, I'll make a desert cool so that you can travel. Oh, you're thirsty? I'll split a rock and I'll let the fountain of life come out of that rock for you because you're my children. They were thirsty and God made water gush out of a rock and so many things the Lord had done for them. At one time they were even fed up with the spiritual food that they, that they were being provided. God would send manna every single night for them to consume. And they had even gotten tired of that, that they, they craved meat once again. Now, granted, I get it. You know, you, you eat the same thing all the time. You might want to switch it up every now and again. And so God's like, really? You're not satisfied with what I've given you. So the Bible says that he sent a drove of, of doves in, and he allowed the winds to blow them in so that it could fulfill their complaint for meat. Do you know that God doesn't need us? He wants us. He doesn't need us, church. He wants us. 
All along, he was proving his faithfulness. All along, he was showing that he was a trustworthy, faithful God to them. All along, and every single time that I read about what the Lord had done for them, I'm blown away that somehow they would still complain and grumble towards the Lord. But yet, sometimes that ends up being what we do. God brought you out of a season that you're standing in his grace here and now today. You're healthy, you're alive, you've got, you know, a good job. The Lord has provided for you, and yet there's still a complaint that you've put on the table. The Lord rescued you from sin. The Lord forgave you. He cleansed you. He washed you. He made you clean. And all of a sudden, there's still a complaint that you put at his table. Psalm 78, verse 19, this is speaking of the Israelites. It said, they spoke against God, and they said, can God really spread a table in the wilderness? What I'm experiencing now, God, could you, could you possibly lay it all out, prepare it, set it up, provide for me the very thing that I've longed for, provide for me, God, the very answer to my prayer? After all that God had done, they still questioned. And though they had seen many things, they doubted that God could do the very next thing that they had desired. You know, church, he's called us to live by faith. Amen? The Bible says that the righteous will live by faith. Faith is when the impossible looks logical. Faith is when the next mountain of thing that you are standing in front of, the next giant that's in front of you, the next thing that you are wanting to see, you know, uh, victory in. Faith is believing that which is unseen and that which is hoped for. Faith is the very substance of things unseen. I don't have to see it, but because of the track record of my God, I know it's going to happen. You see, that's what faith looks like. And maybe some people of us had said similar things. Can God really save my lost child? Can God really save my marriage and my relationships? Can God really heal my body? Can God really forgive my sins? You know, can God really save this nation? Can God, can God, can God? And every time a person questions the power of God, it's like planting of seeds of doubt in your heart. We become like a person, uh, the, the Bible describes as Thomas. He needed to see the nail-pierced hands of Jesus. He needed to see that wound in his side. And I'm thankful because this God that we serve, church, He's so gracious. How many of you remember the story of Gideon? You know, the Bible says that the, the, the Lord had, had uh, you know, Gideon was a man that was fearful, and, and, I, and he was a man that doubted a lot. He doubted that God could do stuff for him. He, he just didn't have the faith, you know, and he would, he would be afraid of, of the way that the Lord wanted to work in his life. And the Bible says that one night he instructed Gideon, he said, listen, Gideon, I need you to go down to that valley of your enemy, Go down in there, and I need you to sit next to their tent and listen to what they're talking about. And the Bible says that when Gideon and his, uh, his uh, friend that was with him, they go down to this tent, and they hear these two enemies of theirs whispering, and they literally hear them saying this, I had a dream. And in the dream was this man, Gideon. 
And he overtook all of us. And Gideon was listening to this. Gideon was hearing this. He's literally hearing his enemy tell him who he is. He's literally hearing the one that he was called to wage war against. He's hearing him say, he's going to beat us. He's going to defeat us. And it was what Gideon needed to hear to get the strength and the faith in God once again to move forward and obey God. Church, we're called to obey God, amen? We're called to walk by faith and not by sight. It's not by strength nor by might, but it's by what? By the Spirit, says the Lord. Hebrews 10 and 38, my righteous one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. This very same God who said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you, is saying this in Psalms 23 and 5, that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. What does this mean, Lord? How can you be at such peace to somehow think that it's logical or safe to prepare a place of fellowship with me in the midst of war with my enemies? How can this God that is so noble, that is so strong, how is it possible to, to, to you know, set up in the midst of a, of a setback? How is it possible that, to fellowship with the Lamb of God in the middle of a pack of roaring lions? I'll tell you how it's possible. Because when Jesus prepares the table, he also becomes the bread. When Jesus prepares the table, he also becomes the bread. John 6 and 35, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. John 6 and 58, a few verses later, he said, this is the bread that came down from heaven. He said, your ancestors, the Israelites, they ate manna and they died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. The table has been set and all we have to do is partake of Jesus. All we have to do is sit at the feet of this one. All we have to do is look at this one. The Bible says that his eyes blaze like fire, church. That if you were able to actually fix eyes with Jesus, if you were able to, to focus on him and acknowledge him in that place, church, you wouldn't even be able to stand in the presence of his glory because that's how good he is. That's how powerful he is. And all we have to do is receive him to ourselves. Because when I am nourished by him, I am equipped to walk in fellowship with him. When I have bowed my knee, when I have taken time to sit down and accept the invitation of Jesus to fellowship with him, I'm equipped for every good work. When I feed on the word, when I am feeding on his words, I'm empowered to walk in the supernatural. When I've met him and I have faith that he is who he said he is, I am clothed with his righteousness, church. When you sit down at the table of Jesus, you can become born again. You can be filled with the Spirit. You can become a new 
creation church, you can go from death to life. Can somebody say amen this morning? See, the invitation from the Lord is made for you and I every moment of every day. Every moment of every day. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, he says this, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. Every day this invitation is there. Every single day the invitation to sit at the feet of Jesus, to acknowledge him, to look at him, to gaze upon him is there for you. 2 Corinthians 6 and 2 says, In the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. He says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, and now is the day of salvation. This might sound like old rhetoric, but the truth is, is if you're living outside of relationship, he's not your Lord. I'll say it one more time. If you're living outside of a relationship with Jesus... A relationship happens every day. I speak with him every morning. I let him speak into the areas of my life that I have no control over. I let him love me. I let him train me. I let him correct me. I let him rebuke me. I let him discipline me. Why? Because he is Lord. This is what a relationship with Jesus looks like. And if you're living outside of that, then this message is for you. There is an urgent call from the Lord that must not be ignored. That is that the table is set and the master is before you waiting for you to acknowledge him. He is waiting to embrace you. He is waiting to transform you. He's waiting to impart life, healing, restoration, joy, strength, and more into your life. But you have to come. You have to take a seat at the king's table. In the Old Testament, there was a young man and his he was named king, and he was actually king for a short period of time, for about three months. We'll read the story in just a second, but he had done evil in the Lord's eyes. That is, he was, he was not a good king, and he had done some things, and so uh, his name was uh, Jehoachin, and it says he was eventually captured, and he was taken prisoner by a wicked regime and by a wicked king. And this man was held in captivity for 37 years by the Babylonians. And we'll catch up with this in Jeremiah 52. Verse 31, it says, In the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, in the year of Awa Marduk, it says he became king of Babylon. On the 25th day of the 12th month, he released Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and he freed him from prison. He spoke kindly to him, and he gave him a seat of honor higher than those other kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim put aside his prison clothes, and for the rest of his life, he ate regularly at the king's table. The king was captive for 37 years. He was never freed. He was used to living in prison. He was used to living in shackles. I can guarantee you that he had marks on his wrists. He had marks on his ankles because he had not yet been freed from prison. He was used to going through the same motion of life. He was used to experiencing the same things in his life. He was prisoner. He was captive. 
I can imagine that after 37 years, I'm 39 years old, so I can imagine after 37 years of living in prison, he was an incredibly hopeless individual. He probably thought that he would die a prisoner, but one day an evil king had sent for his release. And I believe, church, it's not coincidence that hundreds of years before Christ would come, this man was released on the very same day that Jesus would be born. Let's read it again. What does it say in verse 31? On the 25th day of the 12th month. This man was now freed. And not only was he released, but he was given a seat of honor higher than those other kings in the land. And scripture goes on to say that he had put aside his prison clothes and for the rest of his life he ate at the king's table. Now this church was an evil king that did this. This was a man that was wicked, but somehow he was moved in his heart by God to release this man. But the king of kings, church, the Jesus that I'm speaking about to you this morning, many years later wouldn't come to reign as an earthly king, but rather he would come to serve and he would give his life as a ransom for many. The very same one that we call Jesus Christ gave his life, church, as a sin offering for you. You and I were this man. We were held in captivity. We did not know what the outside life looked like. We were used to being bound and we were used to being captive in chains. We were stuck in bondage. And the Bible says that we have a God in heaven that loves us so much that he sent his son to this earth to die for our sins. And so the king asked for our release. I'm reminded of the story, and the Bible says that when Jesus was about to be crucified, he was brought before the council of Pilate and the Jewish people. And they had in captivity another man, and his name was Barabbas. Barabbas was a guy that deserved the sentence that he was about to get. He was a thief. He was a liar. He had done things that had gotten him into that place where he was in line to be crucified. And the Bible says that they had before them Jesus, who was sinless, who had done nothing wrong who had lived 33 years of his life in this world just as a man, just like a man. And he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he, he, he led out the captives, he did so many things in his life, church. And the Bible says that when they were given an option, they chose to free Barabbas. They chose the one who had no business escaping his sentence. And they allowed the one who had no sentence to be the one who would be crucified. And in those moments, church, Barabbas represented us. A people who were destined for hell and on their way to hell unless the king would ask for our release. Unless there would be one, church, that would say, I will take 
their place so they no longer have to live in captivity. So the scars of the shackles can be removed and so the freedom can come into their life. I will take their place. Amen. The Bible says that Jesus was led like a lamb. Silent. He was taken church and he gave his life freely. And the Bible says that he was beaten beyond recognition, that he was marred and he was disfigured. He had nothing in his person to draw us to himself. You can read this in Isaiah 53. And the Bible says that he took 39 lashes from, from this, this whip for you and me. That he was given a cross to carry that was too big for him to carry. That he even had to, had to get a young man to help carry that up to the hill of Golgotha. And when he was finally raised upon that cross for all men to see. He uttered these words. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they've done. How could the one who deserved none of it do it for you and I? How could the one who deserves zero punishment freely give his life for you and I? It's because he loves you endlessly, church. The Bible says in John 14, he says, I am going to prepare a place for you. In heaven, church, right now, there is a spot reserved at the Lamb's feast, at the Lamb's table. But in order to receive that invitation, you first have to receive the invitation of Jesus. That is, if you know in your life today you're not right with the Lord, You've been living in sin. Sin has had a grip on your life. It's controlled you. It's, it's held you captive. You, you are in church, but you're captive today. The Lord wants to set you free. Because the Bible says that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You see, when you come to Jesus, the chains are broken and you are set free. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.